right. Joel, you doing okay back there? Yeah, I'm talking to you. You doing all right? All right, man. Open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. You heard me right. 2 Peter chapter 1. The Lord's going to have a start here this morning. Uh, just to, as a way, uh, the Lord, I, was, I believe he was giving me a word just for the days and things that are going on just before we jump into our Ephesians study here this morning. You know, I was praying just, I'm sure many of you have been following what's going on in our our country with some of the media and the news and, you know, with just so much going on between, you know, spiking in certain states of uh, viruses, you know, all the way down to... Uh, uh, rioting and different things like that. And uh, what is it that the faithful Christian is to do? And how are we to endure? And I just was, I was seeking the Lord on these things because I said, God, we need, your people need to hear your voice. We need to hear that still small voice, don't we? We need to hear more from God than we've ever had heard in our whole lives. We're living in these last days. We need to hear from the Lord. And so I, uh, I was praying and the Lord drew me to this passage in Second. Peter chapter 1 verse 5, just talking about our behavior, our conduct, our, our thoughts, our motivations, you know. He, he begins by telling us, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, I like that, diligence, intentional, focus, add to your faith. It begins with faith, doesn't it? We've been in Ephesians chapter 1, and Paul began by teaching us that fundamentally the foundation of our Christian walk always begins in faith. It's how we were saved, and everything that comes after that is all a precursor to our walk in faith with Jesus Christ. He says, now I want you to add to your faith in these days. I'll add my commentary. Virtue. What is virtue? The bride of Christ needs to be morally excellent. We need to be living uh, as living epistles, as we read in Corinthians, to be known and read by men and women, to be that light to a lost and dying world. Not to shy away from Christ, but to be all in. To be radiant and reflecting his light and the beauty you know, many times when you take the refraction of light and it bends, whether it's through a laser or any other mechanism, sometimes that light, once it travels great distances, can begin to diminish. But with Christ, it only illuminates and gets brighter. The more that Christ illuminates us and we reflect that light, the brighter the city is around us. But he's calling us to a moral excellence the desire that we would behave as Christ, that we would have that sharpness to us, that diligence. To virtue, knowledge. These are all building steps that you start in faith, and then we go to virtue. When we, when we seek that moral excellence through Christ, the next thing that we, we want and we seek is knowledge. Now, this is beautiful because how do we do it? How do we do it, Pastor? How do we live this way? How do we? You have the very instruction manual, the love letters right in front of you that tell you exactly how to do this. The Word of God, it says to knowledge. 
And this means the desire to seek to understand. That's what that means, to seek to understand. And I tell you right now, you got the word of God. Anything and everything you want to know is right before you in his holy, God-breathed word. From there, the next thing we're to exercise is what? Self-control. Self-control is important today. Our flesh, right or wrong, we see some of the things going on. We want to stand up and handle things in a certain way. Maybe we grew up a certain way. We grew up maybe, I use the term, old school, right? Old school. Some of you know what I mean by that. Yeah, I see some people making gestures. Yes, but Jesus has called us to a higher order, an order of self-controlled meekness. It doesn't mean we run away. No, we stand up from the victimless. Those that need help, we stand in the gap. We don't run from it. The church needs to stand. The church needs to be all in. No longer do we care about our personal lives and the effects that it will have on our, our, our comfort and our, our, the way we live and, and our economics and everything. You know what? It's all going to burn. It's time that we stand and we be that beacon that light upon a hill, that when people look upon and want to know why do you believe what you believe, they look at you and they read the word of God on your very heart. But to do that means we need to exercise self-control. That goes back to that moral excellence. There's no room for pornography. There's no room for sin issues that we've, addictions and things we've flirted with, if I could say it that way, gone. He has refined the bride. He has washed us with his blood. We are pure. We ought to behave that way. Amen? We ought to behave that way. From there, perseverance. You know what this word means? Many times in the King James, the translation's patience. And I appreciate the King James uh, translation, but, but if you really go to Vine's dictionary or another, you know, an expository dictionary like that, lexicon, you, you understand it means to remain under. It means to remain under or to endure. We are to endure hardship. Endurance is important. What are we remaining under? The authority of God the very presence of God. And then, of course, that endurance to godliness. Do you see that? That is the work of Ephesians 4, the work of the ministries, equipping the saint, you and I, and we equip others, not just pastors, teachers. Every man and every woman is a Barnabas, a Timothy, or a Paul. For in these things, for if these things are yours, notice that, they're yours for the taking. They're yours to possess, to have, to hold, and abound. Continuation, not just a one, so I did it, Lord, one time. High fives. You will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old 
sins. You are a new creation. All things have been made new. It's time we behave that way. It's time we set down fear. It's time we set down our desire to achieve all that we can materially in this world. And now it's time to completely live for the king. 100% all in. Wherever God takes us, whatever we do, until that time that our eyes close and open upon Jesus. Amen? Amen. So be it? Amen. Okay. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2 here this morning. God wants us to know that we are to endure. We are not to quit. That is the word he gave me. We are not to quit for the days ahead. We are not to become weary. We are not to be faint-hearted. We are not to run. We are to dig in. They want to know what the church has to say. They're going to hear what the word of the Lord says, at least from this fellowship and the body of believers gathered here. And I pray that for the whole body of Christ in a great awakening around the world, that when we stand up and we proclaim truth, no longer will we accept lies and deceptions and just anarchy because of our ability to not want to get dirty or, you know, upset. Amen? All right. Paul has us in Ephesians chapter 2. As we've been going through, he spoke to us that, you know, basically in verse 22, all things have been put under his feet. Chapter 1, he gave him to be head over all the church, which is his body, the fullness of fills in all, fits in all, or I should say the fullness of him who fills all in all. And we spoke about Paul telling us that, hey, we have all been called. There's a sovereignty and there's a free will. I was just speaking to somebody here this morning that was asking about last week's uh, teaching, and they said, you know, uh, how is it that we have both? God knowing who's going to come to salvation, and at the same time, a free will choice. It's a good question, right? I don't get caught up in the philosophies. My Bible doesn't say Calvin said or Arminian, you know, said. No, my, my, Bobby, my Bible doesn't talk about philosophies. Does yours? Mine doesn't. But my Bible tells me truth and that God is sovereign and at the same time we have free will. And I explained it, if you remember, like a banquet table last week. The food has been laid out. Everyone has an opportunity to come up and take a piece of the food. I'm not going to name the food because whatever that is for you, that spiritual food, to come up and be partakers. Now the question is, has God, before the very foundations of the world, as Paul established, set this banquet before all of humanity? The answer is, yes, he has. Do we have a responsibility to say, I believe in faith, I trust, by sitting down at the table and eating? Yes, we do. Does God know who's going to come to the table? Yes, he does. Does that stop God from you know, allowing the banquet to be set for anybody that would come? No, it doesn't. How does it work? It's like an equation. You require both. It can't be one or the other. That's why it's not a philosophy or ideology. That's why it's the truth of God, because it's, it's far surpassing any intellectualism 
of anything humans or men could have done. Do you see the beauty of how God did it? The answer is yes. It's possible for both. How? Yes, it's possible for both. That's as far as my pay grade goes. I don't get anything else after. I don't understand all that. I understand that truth, though. And that means that all can be saved. And that means that everyone has an opportunity to come to the table and feast upon the Lord. He says, taste for he's good. Well, now Paul's going to jump into chapter 2 here. We're going to jump into chapter 2. Sorry, Paul was just giving direct revelation. He didn't have chapters back then. He was just writing the word of the Lord as he was inspired through the Holy Spirit. And now he's going to come back and help us to understand why we need saving to begin with. Why do we need salvation? And he's going to remind those in Ephesus, hey, don't forget who you were. You were dead. Now you're alive. Don't go play dead again. You're not a possum. Don't, don't turn around and go and play dead like, like all of a sudden everything you just learned in Christ through the gospel of Jesus Christ means you go back and live contrary to that new creation, that new birth you've been given. And he's going to finish up chapter 2 and 3 talking about a mystery. Now, a mystery doesn't mean something that we don't understand. A mystery means something that has been revealed to the church in the church age, which was once not seen openly or vividly. Have, have you ever known anybody who's had a, a eye surgery? I, I think of my mother when she was alive. She, she started to get the, the glaucoma and some of the other things that come on, and she had a, a surgery, and she said, man, I, I thought they went back to black and white. You know, some of the Andy Griffith show, you know, they're growing up, right? Black and white. She says, I started seeing the TV like that. Now, now everything is vivid. She's the colors. I remember my son, when he got his glasses for the first time, he said, Dad, the grass is green, and it, it actually has texture. Well, that's exactly what we have with the Word of God. We have a vivid picture. We have this vivid that we can see its depth to it, not just a surface level understanding. So he's going to come through and explain that's the mystery to be revealed. And it has been revealed to you and I, the church, which was once hidden has now been revealed. And that's Jesus and the gospel and the fullness of what awaits us. It is no longer something that is covered. It's, it's, it's completely available for all to see who choose not to be blinded by the, the enemy or the prince of the air, the devil, the god of this world, lowercase g. So that's what we're going to be going through. And then from there, really, chapters 4, 5, and 6 become very application-centric. But he's going to go back and he's going to establish the theology with the church so they understand clearly who they are, why, and now how in chapters 4, 5, and 6 application. Okay, you with me? All right. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You can look over to chapter 4, verse 18. He begins to even talk about that there. He says, Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because they ignored that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, that we were like them. Unbelievers, once not seeing clearly, we were blinded. Darkened is the way that it speaks of in Scripture. Turn to two books over to your right there, Colossians chapter 2. Some similarities we'll see, as I mentioned in our introduction a few weeks back with Ephesians. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. 
and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh has he has made alive together with him having forgiven you all your trespasses well we get a couple things there looking at it first what is he said we were dead we were dead in our sins, right? Romans teaches us that as well. We were dead. We were separated eternally from God. But now we're alive, and we've been forgiven. If you've ever wanted to know, are you forgiven? It says you're forgiven. You're forgiven. He separates your sin as far as the east is from the west. Notice he didn't do the north to the south. East to west, it keeps going and going and going. There is no end. North comes to south, you hit the south pole, you start again at the north pole. There's points. There is no end to an east-west. It just keeps going around. That's a picture for us of why he said it that way, because there is no end to the forgiveness that he has bestowed upon us for our sin. He wanted to know there's no stopping point. There's no pole where it has to somehow hit the reset button and start again. There is none of that. His forgiveness is just never-ending. It's forgiven sinners that you and I are going to meet in heaven. It's forgiven sinners. That's who inherits the kingdom of God. He says, and he made, he made alive who were dead, trespasses and sins, right? Look in your Bible to Romans chapter 3, please. Look at verse 9. If you were with us when we were going through the book of Romans, you may remember this. This is a very important passage where basically at this point in chapter 3, chapters 1 through 3, uh, really 1 through, well, yeah, 1 through 3 in the book of Romans, what Paul is doing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is unifying everybody into the fact that we are all sinners and need Christ. So all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Romans chapter 3, verse 23. He has pulled everybody together and said, yeah, we all have something in common. Absolutely, we all need Jesus because we all need a Savior. Go back to verse 9, though. Are we better than they? Who's they? Yeah. Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jew and Greeks that they are all under sin. He says everyone, remember at that time you were either Jewish or you were a Gentile or a Greek. It means you were someone that was not Jewish representing all of the other nations of the world, okay, at that time. Th this was a big deal. I mean, the Jewish individual, a Jew would not walk through Samaria because they considered them a mixed breed, right? They wouldn't even, if they'd gone through Samaria because there were Gentile mixed with the Syrians that had basically reestablished uh, at that time by intermarrying and different things like that through the Assyrian invasion, they turned around and they brought back Jewish with Assyrian and they had all types of mixed peoples because that's what the Assyrian groups did. They would take and they would basically bring people from other areas to turn around and marry in those areas, creating a new sort of civilization, a new, um, you know, ethnicity, if you want to say it that way. Well, at that point, the 11 nations, or I guess best said, the 11 nations, 10 nations, uh, were no longer pure because they had been, remember, defiled. So that's where this idea of Samaria comes from. Well, as we know in the Gospels, many a times, 
Jesus would go to, he went to Samaria. He went through that area. He was very loving and kind and passionate. He said, absolutely. But what would they do? They would walk around. As a matter of fact, if they went to Samaria, they would take before they came back to Jerusalem or the Holy Land, what would they do? They would take off their shoe and they would shake off the dust or the sand. Why? Thinking that the sand of the Gentile was polluted. And therefore, going into the Holy Land, they didn't want to pollute the Holy Land with the Gentile. That just shows you how deep this was. I mean, sand, dust, that they thought could possibly be polluted because of a, a, a Gentile. There's, there's different names in the Hebrew that they would use to express that. But he's saying Greek and Jew. He, this is significant. He's saying everyone is brought under sin. We're all in sin. There's none righteous. No, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They've all together become unprofitable. There's none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb with their tongues that have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction, and misery are in their ways. All the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. I mean, you begin to see, you know, Psalm 14, Psalm 53, Ecclesiastes 7, Psalm 5, Psalm 140, Psalm 10, Isaiah 59. All of that is captured in these passages I just read that was quoting Old Testament scripture. Paul was given revelation. Paul, through the Holy Spirit, as those Psalms and Ecclesiastes were written, as the harmony was put together, Paul understood that this was speaking exactly about this very instance. That when God in the times past was saying, hey, there's none righteous, no, not one, none seek after God. All that It was all speaking to the fact that every human being without Jesus Christ is under sin, is under bondage. And we need a Savior. It's always been speaking to that throughout all 66 books, right? That we need a Lord and a Savior. Now we know that whatever the law says to those who are under the law and every mouth may be stopped to all the world may become guilty before God. The law was nothing more than a conviction, a measuring rod in which everyone failed. The only one that ever kept the law was Jesus Christ. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. There it is. Can you keep the law? Is it possible? Possibly. But none will be justified, it says. That's very clear here. Therefore, the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. There is no other way. That's very important. Any other religion, any other ideology... There is no other way because no one else can be justified just as if you'd never sinned before. No one can do it any other way other than through Christ because no deeds or, can I say, works will ever satisfy that sacrifice, that atonement that's required only through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here, right? For by the law is the knowledge of sin. We understand how we've missed the mark. Sin Again, is a term that we got later on in life. You know, it, it came out of the time, you know, before the, right around the Reformation, slightly before that, when the archer, I've mentioned this before, he would take a sight. They used to have the hoops, and he would shoot through the hoops, and you had to get a perfect score. 
So you would shoot through the hoop, and you'd hit through three of them with the uh, arrow. And if you made it through all three, you got a perfect score, and you moved on in your archery event. If you missed one of the hoops, they said you sinned. You missed the mark. And that's where we adopted that term in Christianese and Christianity and came into our vocabulary, our vernacular, for missing the mark. That's where it came from, that idea of sin. And so that's what he's saying. But now the righteousness of God, apart from law, is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, by, by the whole counsel of God, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There it is. It all culminates to Jesus. To all in all who believe, for there is no difference. Jew, Greek, woman, man. Nah, it doesn't matter. Anybody who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for all of sin and falls short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace, a gift from God, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, the only way, whom God set forth as a substitute, a propitiation, by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, right? Because his, in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate to the present time his righteousness that he might be the just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And then if you read on, boasting's excluding. Where is boasting then? It's excluded by law. Paul's going to bring that up in Ephesians here in a minute. You can turn back. Right? We could also, if we had time, we could go into Romans 6. I'll read just verse 1, but you can turn back. It just says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? We have died to sin. Wait a minute, Pastor. I'm, I, I, just, I actually sinned before I got in here. I got in the car, and I was fighting with my spouse on the way over. And then we came in, and we, we acted like everything was great. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good, brother. Good sister. So good to see you this morning. Meanwhile, we were in the car just, you know, yelling at our spouse or carrying on. You know, God desires truth. We're no longer alive to sin. We're dead to sin. So how is that possible? Because what God wants us to understand is we have a choice. We have a choice not to sin any longer. We can choose, as I read in 2 Peter this morning, verse, chapter 1, excuse me, verse 5, we can choose moral excellence, can't we? It's a choice that we all can make. Are we going to blow it? Yeah, we will. But our intentions are important. What are your intentions? When you woke up this morning, what's the first thing that you did? Was it to thank God? for the breath that you breathe, for the life that you have? Because you were once dead. You were once no longer, <laughs> you were eternally separated from God. But through the work of Jesus Christ, you have been put back together, if I can say. You have been better than put together. You have been made a new creation. And you have been reconciled to Jesus. And so our very first thought in the morning ought to be, thank you, Lord. Because if I'm alive and my eyes opened, I have a plan. You have a plan and I have purpose for you today, Jesus. And by the way, it's not just the things that we want to get off our list done. 
Are we living for our lists? Are we living for God? I'm, I, I'm not trying to browbeat anybody here. I'm challenging us in these last days. All of us. Inclu- my heart first. My heart first. Before I even begin to present or share something with you this morning, the Lord works on my heart. And I just spend time with the Lord. Oh, Lord. He's gracious, isn't he? But Romans 6 talks about how we were, we were dead to sin, but we're alive, right? We've been baptized into Christ, and, 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 the, and we were also baptized in death. Therefore, we're buried in him through baptism, but we're alive through Christ, who was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we should walk, as it says in Romans chapter 6, in newness of what? Life. So this is what Paul is speaking about as we go back to Ephesians chapter 2 when he says, and you had been made alive who were dead in the trespasses and sin. You were dead in your sin. We should never get tired of that. We should never get tired of thanking God and remembering who we were because who you were is not who you are today. And that's important because that means that when we look at others, we're not judging them as though we're better than them, because we're not. We have just received a gift. We have just received a gift from God, and we are forgiven, right? We're forgiven sinners, but we're not any better. That gives us a a humility and a, a genuineness in our heart to looking towards others and the need of others. It keeps us pliable supple that way, flexible. It keeps us focused on those that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the course of this God. Some people are saying, what? Yeah, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying that either you're following Jesus, the one and true you know, living God, or you are following the God of this world. It's, it's that clear. It's not a, uh, I wanna, I'm going to serve, you know, I'm a part-time server. I serve over here sometimes when it suits me. I serve over here. No. That, that's not possible. What did Jesus say? You, you know the scripture. You can't have... Two masters, you're going to hate one and love the other. You, you can't do it. If Jesus says it can't be done, it, it's, an op- it's, it's a closed case for me. It can't be done. He didn't say it was maybe possible. In which you once walked. He's reminding you, this is where you came from. That's who you were. You walked in that darkness. You walked in sin and guile. and You did the things. You compromised. You were a specter of persons. You had family members that you knew were willingly claiming to be believers and sinning, and yet you're still entertaining them and, and, and doing all the things you would normally do as though you were not to stand and say, wait a minute, this is wrong. But you're respecters of persons. I was a respecter of persons. No. That's not who we are. That's who we were. We don't go back to the flesh pots in Egypt. We don't go back to that, right? That's what he's telling us. We've been redeemed and saved not to go back. 
according to the prince and the power of the air. Who, who's that speaking of? Satan, that's right. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Do you see that? That's important. Who works in, what's he say here? The sons of disobedience. The spirit who works in the sons of disobedience. Those who are not walking with Christ. Well, they may not all be demon-possessed, but guess what? They are certainly being what? Influenced. They're being influenced by the devil. By their own lusts. Do you realize that when you're talking with an unbeliever, are you prayed up? Do you realize there's a spiritual battle going on as you are talking with that person that's being waged in the heavenlies at that moment? In the spiritual realm that we don't see? That it's not just the words we're speaking through the Holy Spirit as he, as he, you know, he moves us to say something that way. That the enemy in the demonic realm, they're fighting back. No! They don't want to give up. They don't want to just turn around and say, oh, yeah, take this soul. No, they know what it is to be. They, they, they see once you are a born-again believer in Christ, you are no longer under the power or influence of the prince of the air. It's a choice. They don't want that. The enemy doesn't want that. I mean, look what we see going on all around us. The world, is anarchy a too, too, too strong of a term? I don't think so. I mean, we're defunding police. I don't care where you come in on that whole thing, but what? Like, we are a country built on civil law and order. And it's okay that we think that, that we're just going to turn around and say, uh, no, that doesn't suit us. What? I, I never heard of such a thing. But it's okay today because we want to be so politically correct. Look, when political correctness causes you to walk in disobedience and darkness, you're not, you're not walking in Christ. Don't say, God bless you, and then turn around and burn down a store or riot or hurt people. I'm not talking about standing up again and your freedom of speech and being able to say, hey, this is wrong. I, you know, clearly protesting, fine. But that's not what's happening today. It's anarchy. And, and we see governors. We see states cowering. People are cowering. They're being told, stay in your home. It's okay if you just stay in your own home and you don't go outside your door. You don't have to be worried about what's going on in the rest of the world because it's not directly affecting you. What? That sounds a lot like the spirit who works in the sons of disobedience. That's exactly what's happening. It is a spiritual battle. Are you on your knees about that for your country? For the things going on in these states? We need to be praying. Look, look at uh, Colossians, please. Turn, turn to Colossians again, two books to your right. Look at uh, Colossians chapter 1. Look who we were. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled. That's who we were. We once were alienated. Right? 
Or, or, or look at 1 Peter. Turn back to Peter. Remember, for, instead of 2 Peter, go to 1 Peter, chapter 4. Look at verse 3. I, I love this. I love this passage in 1 Peter. Uh, underline this in your Bibles. I, it's a constant reminder for you and I, the believer today. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime. You've done enough of this in the past. We wasted enough time. Can we, can we say it another way, maybe a more modern way? We wasted enough time when we weren't saved, living after our own lusts and the things of this life. We wasted enough time. Chapter 4, verse 3 in 1 Peter. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revivalies, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Man, there are people still doing this today. There are Christians still living this way today. There's no transformation. What's going on? What's going on? I understand. Look, the sanctification is a process. I understand. But, but is the desire there? Is the desire there for that moral excellence that we read about in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 13? Is it, is it there? Look at uh, John chapter 12, verse 31. I love verse 28 where it starts, Father, glorify your name, Jesus speaking. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it, they had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of what? This world. Now is the judgment of this world from the time's sake of Christ when he was predicting and speaking about his crucifixion, when he was being crucified that way, his triumphal entry as he was speaking of what would be. He said, now the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be what? Cast out. Again, Satan has no power. He's powerless now for the believer in Christ. Do you see that? He has been defeated. He has been defeated because of the work on the cross. Are we living that way? Or are we afraid? Verse 3 in chapter of Ephesians, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the minds, and were by nature children of what? Wrath. Do you see that? Just as the others. Turn to Psalm 51. Please. 
Psalm of David. Beautiful psalm as David's crying out. Realize he's he sinned, he blew it with Bathsheba. He's repentant at this point. Talking to Nathan the prophet, he's broken. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from every one of my sins. Is that your prayer this morning? Is that my prayer to be thoroughly washed by Christ and by the word of God? For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. Ultimately, that's who we hurt. That's who we sin against. And done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak. To Think about that. Remember, he murdered Uriah. He committed adultery that way. And blameless when you judge. He was more worried about God. When a repentant heart, he was more worried about the character of God than he was about the pleasure of his sin. If you struggle with an addiction or any kind of sin out there, when you have the heart of David or a heart like David, a heart after God's own heart there, when you've put God in that place, Jesus in that place, where you are more worried about hurting Jesus than you are about the pleasure of your, than enjoying the pleasure of your sin, I assure you, you will not struggle with that addiction any longer. You, you won't struggle with that addiction when you put Jesus before getting high. You won't. When you put Jesus before the smut and pornography that comes before your eyes. But look at verse 5. This, this is all of us here, okay? This is every one of us here. Behold, this is, this is why I wanted to bring you to this passage. I was brought forth in iniquity. We all were. This is what Paul's alluding back to. Hey, we were born into sin. We were dead. We were all born into this iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. But verse 6, behold... He says it again. You desire truth in the inward parts. I was born that way, but that's not how you want me to end up, Lord. I was was born a sinner, but I was born to get saved. Do you see the difference? I was born a sinner, but I I was made and conceived to be saved to bring you glory and honor, to worship you. My life matters in the eyes of Christ Jesus. Everybody's so concerned with lives that matter. But don't forget, your life matters most to Jesus. That's where all identity and the purpose is all held in. So next time you hear lives matter and people want to insert something before that, whether it's all or, you know, black or white or whatever they're trying to put in there, to Jesus, lives matter. What are we doing before Jesus? 
Because if Jesus is preeminent in our lives, I guarantee there'll be a unity. There'll be a unity. You won't be seeing color anymore. You won't be seeing ethnicity, Jew, Greek. You won't be looking at gender, male, female, like, you know, males are better, females are better, all this other stuff. Genesis 1, 26, 1, 27, we we're all created in the likeness and image of God with an office and a plan and a purpose. But we were born in iniquity. Just like Jesus came to die, we were born in sin to get saved, that we would come to Christ and be reconciled. That's God's plan, as we read last week in chapter 1, before the very foundations of what? The earth. Before the foundations of the earth. And I love this. So here it is, you know, first three verses. Man, Pastor Paul, that's heavy. Not feeling so good about myself. This is who I was. Man, what's going on? But then he comes up with verse four, and I love this. Insert this. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care how crazy or, 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 or the circumstances in your life, what you're struggling with. You remember one thing. Everything changed the minute you said, I do to Jesus. Everything changed in your life. You are never the same again. You cannot be the same again because you are a born-again believer in Christ. And he who is in you is greater than anything or anyone in this world. The prince of the air, the enemy, Lucifer himself, nothing as a created being as the eternal God Almighty. When you stand before God, you are a son and daughter, an heir, an adopted child, a beloved. When you're going through any of those things, I want you to say one thing. But God. But God. I blew it. I screwed up, man. I hadn't drank in, I'm not saying me, somebody's saying this. I hadn't drank in 10 years, 20 years, whatever your thing is. I got into the, I got into it. I don't want to do it again. I'm forgiven. How do I, how do I not do it again? But God. God. I, I, don't, I don't want to live the way I've been living. I don't want to be so focused on self. I don't want to, I don't want to turn around and seek my desires, my passions, and, and inherit the whole world but lose my soul. What do I do? But God, I've had death surround me, death after death after death. Naomi, Ruth, Orpah, what do I do? Widowed, I'm alone, I'm afraid, but God. I don't know Jesus. I've been living a life, man, I've been all over the place. I've done things, I've murdered, I've done this, I've done that. What do I do? But God, you have a father who wants to forgive you, a savior who wants to reconcile you to himself in love. But God, 
See, the enemy is going to try to persuade you or convince you to even give you paranoia about all the things going on until you remember to say, but God. As Paul got to the point where he says, death, where's your sting? Where's your victory? He basically said, you got nothing on me. But God. There's a power in the name of Jesus. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us. Oh, look at 1 Peter chapter 2 again. Let's go to verse 9. This is who we are. We spent, all, we spent the first three verses seeing who we were. Now who are we today? I'm not yelling at you. I'm loving you. I'm loving you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God. You got people. Do you know that? You got people. And now have obtained mercy, right? Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Man. I don't know. Don't you feel like just a little bit taller? Heads up a little? All right. Okay. I can do this. I can do this in Christ. I can do this in Christ Jesus. I like that. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. Since you're in the 1 Peter, I'll bring you over there. But don't, don't lose sight here. Let's not get cocky, right? Let's not, let's not get cocky either. Presumptuous upon God. Be sober, be vigilant. Chapter 5, verse 8. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. The antidote? Resist him. But God, resist him. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Man. But God, who's rich in mercy because of his great love. I like that. I like that a lot. Look at Psalm 103. Man, we could just string pearls all morning, huh? How about it? But God, Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction. Do you see the things he says he does? Right? Who wants to be forgiven? I, I, I want forgiveness, right? 
God, right? Who heals all your diseases? I want to be healed. Praise the Lord, God. Who redeems your life from the destruction? We've all been redeemed. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies? Who satisfies your mouth with good things? So that your youth is renewed like eagles. Some of us, that'll be complete when we get our glorified body. These bodies ain't working so good anymore. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses. He has acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not only strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has, he has not dealt with us according to our sins. He dealt with us in mercy, and then he gave us the gift of grace. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve on top of it, right? So not only you got, you know, didn't get the speeding ticket, but then the cop takes you out for lunch. How about it, right? That's, that's grace. That's what God's done for us. Not only has he forgiven us, which we didn't deserve and couldn't have earned, but I just read through, what, six, seven, eight in Psalm 103 verses here that talk about the blessing he's bestowed upon us? Has anybody ever offered a guarantee like that to you anywhere else in any other way? No. Every one of us has to answer honestly, no. There is only one true God. He's slow to anger. He deals with us uh, according. To, he doesn't deal with us according to our sins, nor punishes us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far He's what He has removed our transgressions from us. We talked about that earlier. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear Him. For He knows our frame, and He remembers that we are dust. Boy, that just sets it right, doesn't it? We all put our pant legging on, or ladies, you put your dress on, or whatever you do, one leg at a time, right? Or however you do it. We all came from dust. Every one of us, we need to be focused on others. There's nobody better than anybody else. And even if they think they are, through pride, remember, we were once prideful like that too, weren't we? Thought we had it all together. And then we met Jesus, and we saw what real perfection looks like, and we saw what real mercy looked like, what real grace looked like, what it really looked like to be others-focused, giving his life for you and I as a ransom on the cross at Calvary. Then we began to say, oh, and to think he's going to crown us with crowns of righteousness and what crown do I deserve or any one of us in here? What good did we ever do that wasn't directed by the Holy Spirit himself? But you can't outgive God because God is love. And there is no measure to it. There's no ceasing or, or an ending. There's no ending to it. It just, it just pours out, like he says, like a living spring of water that keeps flowing and has no end. And the more you thirst, whether you're the kind of guy back in Judges that gets down on your knees like a dog and laps it up, or whether you're, you're a little more refined, 
Some of you were a little more refined. You take it with your hand, you bring it up to your mouth. That's okay. You, you know what? There's enough water that you will never, ever thirst again in Jesus Christ. If you've never found contentment in your life anywhere else and anything else, come to Jesus and you will experience true contentment because even he will not strive with us forever in his anger, as it says. Powerful. We could just keep reading. For time's sake, go ahead and read the rest of Psalm 103, but wow. Even when we were dead in trespasses, think about that. He didn't save you when you got perfect. He saved you when you were rock bottom, right? I just want you to think about that, right? That's who he redeemed. He didn't redeem some choice ruby or jewel that he was like, look at that. You are a shining. No. He, sh- he saved me when I was covered with vomit and filth. And he looked at me and says, no, that's not who you are. This exterior cover that you might have, this, you know, facade, this whole thing that that you think makes you. He says, when I strip that away, because I will strip it away. I will pull that away. I will get rid of all of that, and I will bring the purity of who you are, because I created you, and I know what you will be in me, Jesus Christ. And you are beautiful, and you are a ruby, and you are a precious jewel. No matter how much, you ever heard somebody when they're, you know, doing construction, you kind of get a little dirty, and then, you know, next day you see them in a suit, uh, all cleaned up, and they got their hair nice and parted, and everything looks good, they got a nice tie on, and what do you say to them? You clean up real nice, right, or real good, right? Jesus looks on us, and he sees what no man could see what was always there, what has always been there because he put it there in our mother's womb, in your mother's womb. When he, he put it there in you. And it's just a matter of time till he strips it away, till he strips all of that, what the canker worm has tried to destroy and the rod has taken. He strips it all away, and what remains is refined and pure and beautiful and unblemished and just... The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. He says, even when you were dead in your trespasses, he says, that's when I met you. He made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. And you can look at Romans 6.4, Romans 4.16, Romans 5.6. You can read Romans 10. All of that speaks to it. And he raised us up together. That's why I said, you're not alone. We got people. You got people. You're the body of Christ. You're not alone. Even when you were locked down in that house, you were not alone. You were never alone. Because we're together in Christ Jesus. Many of us would never have talked to each other (laughs) had it not been Jesus Christ. We wouldn't have hung in the same circles. Maybe we wouldn't have gone to the same places. We might not know each other. But in Christ Jesus, it doesn't matter what your background is. Your identity now becomes a son or daughter, and the unity that we have in that is what draws us together. Again, with Christians from all over the world. 
Doesn't matter what your background, Jew or Greek, your ethnicity, none of that matters. You're a son or daughter of God. Therefore, we're kin. We're family. We're going to the greatest family reunion ever in heaven at the wedding feast of the Lamb. You better start acting like it. Right? We better start acting like it. We don't want to get up there and go, oh, you're here? You know? I'm not sure I'd see you there. What? Why? We can enjoy some of that here. That's why he's given us, that's why he, this social distancing is nonsense. I'm not talking about just the, the six foot part of it. I, I get it. There's people, we got to be careful, diabetes and all that stuff. And, and you know, people pre-existing. I appreciate all that. But the idea of social distancing, no, no, no. We, are, we need to be social. We need to be connected. I, I don't want you sneezing on my face or in my face, okay? And I'm not going to sneeze in yours, right? I don't want you touching me after you just blew all your nose. and yeah, I don't, I'm not looking for that kind of social connection with you, right? Keep that social part to yourself. I painted a picture for you now. You get it. But I want to be connected to you because I am spiritually. Because it says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 4 and 6, our bodies became the living temple of God. The Holy Spirit lives in us, and we are connected corporately as well as individually with Jesus. Do you know that? That what goes on in each other's lives have a direct, has a direct relationship with us in all of our lives. There's times Lisa and I are woken up uh, to be praying to things that are going on in the church, other pastors and their wives and different things that are going on. You all, I hear stories about how you're woken up, you're praying, whether it's for the school, this is happening, or what's going on. For people, their businesses, and different things, employment. When you think of your son or your daughter, or your grandchild, the love you ought to have to one another should transcend that. That's the call. That's the real call. If that's not there, you need to get with Jesus. That's a challenge for all of us this morning. Because that's how Jesus Christ told us to love each other. He says, love your neighbor that way. That's heavy, man. But that's what it looks like. We don't want to set the mark here when Jesus said it here. You said it here, you're always going to miss. Because he raised us up together. He made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Think about that for a minute. Oh, my. You read Titus 3. Not, not right now, but read Titus 3. Oh, whew. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and, not, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. You can look here, John chapter 1, verse 12. It's, it says it so perfectly. John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. But of God. Right? Mm. 
I'm looking at our time. I'm going, Lord, I don't know. The Lord says, keep going. I said, okay. Jeremiah. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 29. Why am I saying this? Keep your finger there because it says, Fire by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourself, that is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, and that we should walk in them. What do you mean? God has a plan and a purpose for us? Even before we were born, he was going to save us through the foundations of the world, just read in chapter 1 of Ephesians. And now that we are born and that we're living, you mean God has an actual plan and purpose for each one of our lives? Yes. Look, look at Jeremiah chapter 29, right? We said it a minute ago. Look, look at verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, the thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go pray to me, and I will listen to you. Does that not just, I don't know about you, that breaks my heart. That he actually has to say that to us. That actually has to be in there. That, that if he didn't write that to us, that we would maybe not know that we are to come to God. You know, God's put people in our lives. Discipleship. And, and many times... You know, God wants us to go to a brother, you know, pastors, the assistant pastors, to come to, to, to me to, for discipleship, to, to meet, you know, to talk to how we can build each other up. We're not islands. We're not supposed to be micro islands where we do our own little things. For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil. I give you a future and a hope. That's what he has for us, a future and a hope. Look, look at uh, Proverbs chapter 16. This, this is a great passage to remind you there's no coincidences. The Bible speaks that there is no coincidences in life. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. A man's heart plans his ways. But God, <laughs> but the Lord directs his steps. God's directing our steps. I like that. First John. Chapter 5. Look at the plans God has for us. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. Well, we got to stop or start right at verse 1. We can't just. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. <laughs> Whoever believes that Jesus Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves in him, who begot, also loves in him, is begotten of him, by this we know that we love or that, sorry, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, 
that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God, here it is, overcomes the world. Do you see that? That's the plan and purpose for you and I. We are to overcome this world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What's it say there? Read it. Don't look at me. What's it say? Our faith. How did we begin this chapter? Right? Chapter 1 began with faith. And then we just read one, you know, in Ephesians, a very powerful passage, right? That for grace you have been saved through faith. Chapter 2, verse 8, one of the most memorable passages that we ought to memorize and quote. That there is no boasting. That's his plan. We've overcome. I like that. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 23. Or sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 31. So you know that God has a plan and purpose for your life. He just said it. He wrote about it in Jeremiah. He, he, he talked to us about it in the Proverbs. He's, he told us about it in 1 John. So what do we do? How do we see God? He, he, remember we read it in the Psalms. He says, but, but you don't pray. You don't come to me. He says, I, I've done these things. I have these plans so that you would know you could come to me and pray. Come to the Lord and pray that way, right? That we can speak to God. And communicate with him because he desires to communicate with us. But in, in Deuteronomy 31, what's he, what's he, uh, well, he knows that we were from the dirt, the dust. He knows that often we, we get afraid, we get distracted, we, we struggle. But he, he doesn't want us to trust in ourselves. Our faith is only as good as we place what we place our faith in. He doesn't want us to have faith in, you know, in me or in, we're to have faith in God, in Jesus, who's the deliverer of our soul. He says in verse six, be strong and good and of good courage. That's a good word today. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear. That's a command. Nor be afraid. Of who? Of them. Who's them? Them is those who walk contrary to the word of God. Those that will... Those that have an enmity or look to have darkness. Don't fear them. You remember I began our time this morning in a word that I thought the Lord gave me, or believe the Lord gave me, that was that we don't need to fear. We need to be morally excellent. We need to be that bride that stands up and reflects the light of Jesus Christ. Not just tucked away in our homes, but out and available and investing in other people.
But the natural inclination is, but Lord, if we do that, what if we get the virus? What if we get fill in the blank? Or what if this happens to us? What if this happens to my kids or my wife or a friend? And, and what did we in verse 4 learn in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning? What did he tell us? But God. And we read this morning also that there was no coincidences. That while the heart, man sets his plans in his heart, but what does God do? Establishes those steps. So there is no coincidence. That means that anything that happens to us, God must allow it or not allow it. And then he tells us to be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. The things we see, those, the evil, the spirit of darkness, the spirit of the air, Lucifer, the devil, and all those things around us that are working contrary to God. You know why? It's simple. God says, because I said so. He says, I'm the great I am. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. If you believe in me, believe in my word, believe in my son. Because he says, for the Lord your God. That's what it says there. Because God is in control. That's why. But God. He is the one who goes with you. He is with you. Every one of you. Everywhere you go. He will not leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise. Are you ready? Are you ready to serve the Lord now with all your heart, all your mind, with all your strength? Are you ready not to hold anything back? Are you ready to let go no matter what might happen? If it means you're in prison or it means you're martyred, are you ready to stand in the gap? The Lord is looking for soldiers. Every day I drive home to Boiling Springs. And right now there happens to be uh, wheat growing as I take my travel back. And I love to see the golden fields on the right. Normally it's the corn and the green. I love the green. Don't get me wrong. But now I'm seeing these golden wheat. And it's just this harvest that's plentiful. And if you drive by and you don't, sure, I can look in and I can see little tears, little weeds within that harvest. And if I focus on them and that, guess what? Well, is that going to choke out the good weed, the good wheat that's in there, the good fruit? If I get so focused on the tares, I miss what God is doing. And the good news of the kingdom of God. Friend, there are, there are, friends, there are good things happening every day by the Holy Spirit through men and women that are praying and seeking the Lord all around the world. You're not going to hear about it in the media. You're not going to hear it on your news. But it's happening. People are standing in the gap. I can tell you when I ran, I was just talking to somebody in Nigeria. I was talking to, so I, I'm telling you it's happening. Nicaragua, 
there are people that are standing in the gap. We're not hearing about it in China, but we're not hearing about it all. But know that he's not going to forsake you. You live in the Harrisburg community here, the, the closest city to you, if you will. Remember on Wednesday when we were in the book of Ruth? What harvest, what field are you in? This is your field. This is our Jerusalem. It's time to get out and get in the field. It's time to roll up our sleeves because the harvest is plenty, but, but the workers are few. Not only are we to pray that God sends more workers into the harvest, but we are able-bodied workers, every single one of us. Amen? Let's do it. Let's stand and pray. Now it's up to you. You've been given the word. You know the truth. You know what the Bible teaches on these things. You know what Paul was speaking to the church in Ephesus and what we all are to be doing, what it is to be a Christian. But now it's up to every single one of us. We have been given free will and choice. I'm telling you, we got to get a sign that when you walk out of here, it says that you're entering the mission field. We need to get a sign out. Or somebody that makes signs, please make us a sign. I don't care if it's in crayon. Let your kid do it. We need a sign that says you're entering the mission field. You come here to get encouraged, to be equipped. You go out there to do the work. Although there's work to be done here. Father, we thank you. Lord, this is a, you gave us a marching order today, Lord. And I believe it's to light the fire, Lord, in every one of us. In, in every way that you can, in, in, in our abilities, Lord, in, in your ability, in our hearts. It, for every one of us, it's going to look different. It's going to look different, Lord Jesus. But, Lord, we know and trust and believe your holy word. We believe you, Jesus. We know, Father, that you have, before the very foundations of the world, created a planned purpose for each and every one of us. We know that it began, Lord, before we were even conceived. And now, Lord, do we know that we, here we are, born and living in such a day as this. Lord, such anarchy, such evil being propagated, even not even hidden anymore, Lord. Just out for everyone to see. Lord, let our conduct, let our words, let our actions, let our deeds, Lord, let our virtue represent you, Jesus Christ. May every thought we have be of you, Lord. May our lives be submitted and surrendered, Lord. God, I pray, give us, each and every one of us, opportunities to be Paul and Barnabas and Timothy's in other lives. Lord, I pray to destroy the idea of, in, you know, we're on an island. We all need discipleship. You've, you've put us around like-minded believers so that we can connect and invest in each other, build each other up, and if needed, even edify, Lord, and, and correct, rebuke, Lord, if needed, too, in love. God, do this work 
through us that it would be well-pleasing to you. May we pray and seek your will and plans. And Lord, bless us. We need to be blessed by you, Lord. We need to be washed by you this morning. Allow the word that was just planted in our hearts to be sealed, Lord. Don't let the fowler come and try to steal it away or even the uh, tasks, the busyness of life, try to take away what we have just been and just received from your Holy Spirit. Father, protect us. We don't seek our own life. We seek you now. We want to glorify you, Jesus. We pray all this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen. God bless you all. I love you. After second service, we're going to be putting some mulch down. You can see Pastor Steve. We have a pastor's meeting right after second service, but then shortly after that, we'll be meeting up. And uh, uh, if you'd like to come back and help us to straighten up some of the grounds just to make it a beautiful place as people come in, you're all invited. And uh, if not, you know, we hope to see you at corporate prayer at 6 p.m. tonight. God bless you all.